Good morning. morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests. We also welcome those of you watching online or listening to our podcast. Just uh, appreciate you spending some time with us today. Uh, Super excited about what Kevin said about Up Sunday with all of our children's students moving up one year in our ministries here and just grateful to Kevin and Kiana and all of our teams for all they do to help our children come to grow in their relationship with God. My little boy, Nathan, is five and he's so excited today because he gets to move up with the big kids and uh, so he's super excited. So just want to give a shout out to all those who make it possible uh, for our children to grow in our faith. Glad you're here today to be a part of our discussion as we think about what it means to belong together. And before we dive into the scripture, I just would invite you all to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's word today, uh, that we would hear that and allow God's story to become part of our story. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last night, my wife Laura and I uh, took our boys Luke and Nathan out to eat with some of our friends. It's another couple. Uh, They have three girls, and so uh, there's the four adults. Uh, We had our two boys, the three girls. They all ranged in age from two to nine. So I went to a local restaurant and having a good time. Uh, my buddy Nick and I made sure that it was a restaurant that had television screens because football games are on. And so, you know, how important that is. But uh, we were just getting seated, uh, seated uh, in, our, in our area there at the table. Everybody getting all the kids arranged, all that kind of stuff. Who needs to sit by who? And you know how that is. And so the waiter comes up. There's a real nice looking young guy. And he uh, comes up to me and Nick. We're sitting down on one end and our wives are down on the other end. The kids are kind of in the middle. And he says to us, he says, well, guys, today I'm just glad to tell you that our drink specials uh, are Jack and Coke. And if you want to hit it hard, we're ready to go. And uh, if you don't know Jack, Jack Daniels uh, and Coke, uh, uh, some hard liquor there. And I'm looking at him and right across the table uh, is my nine-year-old son and uh, my friend's eight-year-old daughter. And so I'm sure he meant well. And I looked at him and I was like, well, you know, I'm here. Uh, with our our wives, my friend here, and our children, uh, because I knew this conversation needed to go in a different way. We needed a a different start, kind of a do-over maybe for him to come back up to the table and just was interested in seeing how he would respond to that, because he's doing his job. He's doing what he's told to do, and so, uh, but I was hoping for uh, some growth in the relationship as short as it was already. And so, you know, we had a, a few different options of how he was going to respond to me. He might have looked and said, yeah, I see you're here with your wives and five children between the ages of two and nine. You guys really do need a drink and maybe more than one. Uh, but I'm grateful that he didn't go that direction. He said, oh, man, I'm sorry. He's like, I understand. He's like, just know that we have uh, Coke products for children of all ages. And so that's kind of how he went with it. So it was a decent recovery. And uh, he was a good waiter. and We had a good meal. It was a great time together. Uh, but you ever been there? Sometimes uh, you're in, involved in something and, and you know that uh, you need a different direction. Uh, you kind of you're in a, in a situation, you're in a relationship, you're you're in a spot in life, but you you know that that it needs to become something more than what it is. This this short-lived relationship with my waiter needed to become something more than what it started out to be. Today, that's what we're going to be thinking about in our lives: relationships with people, 
uh, you know, where we are in our lives, in our careers, or in school, or just life in general, sometimes it's good to know that God has something more in store for us. So how do we discover that, and how do we begin to live into that? And so I would kind of invite you to keep that in the back of your mind as we think about uh, Scripture and what God has for us today, because we're going to be talking about some Scripture. Uh, it's, uh, it's over uh, 4,000 years old. This, we're going to pick up the story about 2,000 years before Jesus is born. But I think it's a relevant passages of Scripture that really speak to our lives today uh, when it thinks about when we think about what God has in store for us and what we can become with God. So we're going to go way back 2,000 years before Jesus is born. And God calls a man named Abraham and a woman named Sarah who are currently living somewhere around Iran, Iraq, if it was today's world. Uh, and God called them in their retirement. He says, I know you've lived here your whole life. You have your family, you have friends, all that kind of stuff around here. But I, I have need of you. And I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go to a country that you've never seen before because I'm going to do something very special with you. I'm going to give you the land there and I'm going to grow you into a large family so that your descendants measure more than the sand on the, on the, on the beach in front of the ocean. And you're going to be the father and the mother of a great nation. It's going to be my nation. And through you and this nation, I'm going to bless the entire world. So God enters into this covenant with Abraham and Sarah, and, and, and they have this amazing faith, right? In their retirement, their old age, they're going to move from everything they've known, all the people they know, to a place that they don't know, start all over again, and they're going to have a child, right? Abraham's going to be 100 years old, and Sarah's going to be 90 years old when they have their son Isaac, right? Can you imagine that, right? Having a child at 190, you might need that drink that that waiter offered me when that happens, but so they move there, they begin this new life, uh, and it's just this life filled with faith, and so they pass that on to their son Isaac, and we're going to pick up the story with Isaac's children. Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca, and they have two boys named Esau and Jacob. So we're going to be spending our time on them as they continue the covenant from God. It was passed from Abraham to Isaac. So now the question is, which son is going to be the next heir in this transition as the nation of God is going to get ready to be born? Now, normally we would think it would be the oldest born Esau, which is the way that they did things back then. Whoever was born first had all the rights and privileges. And so that's what we would think. But, but we get some divine kind of uh, information ahead of the birth that it's not going to be Esau, it's going to be Jacob, the younger son, who's going to be the heir, who's going to carry on the name of Abraham and Isaac and, and create this nation. Uh, but there's going to be some challenges in this nuclear family with Isaac, his wife Rebekah, and their two boys, Esau and Jacob. Okay, so it starts from the very beginning. Esau is born, born first. They're twins. He comes out of the womb, but Jacob is right behind. In fact, he's got his hand on his brother's heel. And so when he comes out from the womb, right, he's hanging on to his brother. He wants to be the first one out, it looks like. I mean, you know, who knows what he's really thinking. But it just, it happens. And so the parents see this and they name Jacob, Jacob, because the name means heel or he who grabs a heel. And so names in the Bible are very important. Sometimes they're very little. And so Jacob's named literally for his first action as a human being. And so from the very beginning, there's sort of this, this tension, this sibling rivalry between the older son Esau and the younger son Jacob. 
And the parents don't do anything to help the relationship. Isaac kind of favors the older son Esau and Rebekah favors the younger son Jacob. And so you can imagine the tension in the household when there's clearly favorites being played among these two boys by their parents. Right? And so they grow up in this environment. It's certainly on one hand, it's a loving environment of God, but there's also this sibling rivalry, this rivalry between the parents and the kids uh, and this whole thing about who's going to carry on the mantle, all that kind of stuff. So we fast forward to when the boys are grown up. Uh, Esau is this hunter, rugged, kind of outdoors kind of a guy. And Jacob is more of a you know kind of quiet guy, stays inside the tent, kind of does his thing. And well, one day... Uh, Esau comes in and Jacob's made some like pottage or porridge or something and has some bread and it's smelling really good. And evidently Esau is starving to death. So much so that he said, you know what? I'd do anything to get some of that food. In fact, I would even give you my birthright, my inheritance for some food. Jacob's thinking, what? Are you serious? Right, because again, right, inheritance, it's a pretty big deal. And the way that they did it in the Bible times back then was however many children, male children that the, the family had, they would take that and divide the inheritance up uh, and add the number one to that. So if there were four children, they'd take the inheritance, divide it into five parts, and the oldest child would get two parts and everybody else would get one part. So in this case, Esau is set to inherit two-thirds of his father's estate and Jacob's set to inherit one third. And so now Esau comes and says, I'm so hungry. That smells so good. I'll give you my birthright. I'll give you my inheritance. And Jacob's thinking, well, that's too good for me to pass up. You know, and so maybe now we understand why God said that Jacob was going to be the leader of the nation. If the oldest son was so stupid to give up his inheritance, his birthright for one meal. Are you kidding me? What's that all about? So that transaction happens. But when we read the scripture, there might be more to the story that maybe gives Esau a little bit more light into what's really going on. He, he, he seems to say that he's starving. And maybe he thinks he's starving to death. Maybe he's been out somewhere. He's been out on his own. He's literally, you know, not had food in a while. We don't know all the background of this story. So maybe it isn't as, as simple as him being a moron and giving away his inheritance for just, you know, one meal. Maybe he thought, you know, he was getting ready to die. And what good's my inheritance going to be if I'm not around to see that? And so we're not sure what's going on. But we do know that he surrenders his inheritance, his birthright to his younger brother, Jacob. And that, that drives a bigger wedge in their relationship. Well, again, we fast forward the story and now Isaac is, is older. He's having a hard time seeing. He's not sure you know, how long he's going to live. And so he decides it's time to do his fatherly duty and call in his sons and offer them his blessing. This was another tradition in the life of the people back then. And, and near the end of life, the father would invite the kids to come in and, and he would give them a blessing. And of course, the firstborn would get a bigger blessing than the secondborn, who would get a bigger blessing than the thirdborn. And, and you see how it works. And, and what the blessing was, was what the father hoped for the child to have happen. Right? I hope you are successful. I hope things go well for you. But it was more than a hope. It was, they kind of believed it was kind of like what the father said would happen. Right? It's kind of like, this is your destiny. This is what's going to happen to you. And that didn't mean that God agreed with that or God was going to do that. But that's what the people believed. And so this was a very big deal. Right? And so Rebecca hears that 
you know, Isaac's getting ready to, to give out these blessings. And again, she's playing favorite. She knows her favorite son's supposed to be the one to live out the covenant. And, and she's like, we need to do whatever we can to make sure that you, you know, Jacob received this, this blessing from your dad. He's like, well, how do we do that? You know, and if this goes badly, then I'm going to get cursed. And, and I don't want that to happen. She's like, don't worry about it. I'll take the curse if this messes up, right? You've got to get that blessing. And so again, they're smart. They're conniving. And so they come up with a plan. Since Isaac can't see well, they dress Jacob up in Esau's clothes and, and, and it's hairy kind of hunter kind of stuff. And it smells like him. She makes it her husband's favorite meal and has Jacob take it into him. And they're successful and they fool Isaac. And so he decides to, to go ahead and offer this blessing on the son who he thinks is Esau, but it's going to stick to his son, Jacob. Uh, and it's a powerful blessing. And so I want us to read that together. If you've got your Bibles with you or your phones or your tablets, or if you want to look up here on the um, screen behind me, we're in the first book of the Bible. It's easy to find the book of Genesis chapter 27. And we're going to read verses 28 through 29. This is the blessing that uh, Isaac's going to give to Jacob, thinking it's his older son, Esau. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. Starts out pretty good. That's, that's nice. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Now that takes it to a whole nother level. May entire nations serve you and bow down to you. This is no meager blessing. This is a big deal. Right? This is a huge thing, especially knowing from Isaac's perspective what God has promised in this covenant to be the father of a great nation. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Now, how's that going to fit with Esau when he hears that he's now supposed to bow down to his younger brother when that's just not the culture or the custom? May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So this is indeed a blessing that's powerful. Right? This is what's supposed to happen from the father's perspective to the oldest son. Right? Jacob's kind of been conniving with his mom, been able to take that over. But the, the blessing conferred to him. Right? Esau finds out about it. You know, uh, Isaac finds out what's been done. You know, he offers a, a secondary blessing to Esau, but it's nowhere near the first one. And he, he's not able to give him anything near the first blessing. And so, again, this rift just comes between this family. Right. Playing favorites, trickery, conceit. Right. It's it's a it's a wonder that God has chosen this family to be the ancestors of the nation of God. Isn't it interesting sometimes who God chooses to use and and to advance his his purposes in the world? I guess it gives us all hope. Those of us who are less than perfect, that maybe God can even use us as well if he can use people like Rebecca and Jacob and, and Esau and Isaac. So so Esau finds out about this. And he is mad. He is, he is mad as hell. He is so angry. He's like, I, I can't take it anymore, right? Somehow, someway, I gave in to giving him my inheritance. Now he has stolen my blessing. I'm going to kill my brother, right? And this is not just something like we say sometimes when we get mad or our kids say that, right? It's not hyperbola. It's real. Like he is going to kill Jacob as soon as he sees him. And so Rebecca hears this and she's, she's like, Jacob, we got to get you out of here. Your brother's lost it. He's coming after you and it's not going to be pretty, right? And, and, and I need to send you to your uncle Laban back where we came from. It'd be good for you to go there, right? You're supposed to be the one to carry on the covenant. You can't do that if you're dead. And so, you know, I've got to get you gone. 
And so Isaac also hears about this. And, and he, even though he's upset with his son, you know, it's this bittersweet moment of he's getting ready not to see his son for who knows how long. And so he's like, you are the one who's going to be carrying on the covenant and you do need to marry someone from, from our lineage. And so it is important for you to go back, you know, to your uncle Laban's and, and see what can happen there. And so it's this bittersweet goodbye. And Jacob's going to go away. Because Esau is mad and is going to kill him. And Jacob's going to be in exile for 20 years. Now, they don't know that at this point. right? We don't know that until we read through the whole story in the book of Genesis. But he's going to be there for 20 years because of this family division and this family brokenness. And I'm guessing there's some of us here today who understand what it's like to be in broken relationships with our families. Broken relationships with, with the people that we care about. And so Jacob's never going to see his mom again. She's going to die while he's in exile. And he's never going to see his mother again. And he's, he's apart from his brother who now hates him. He's apart from his father, right? And so Esau and, and Isaac are left with each other. And so now we follow Jacob, you know, back to his homeland, back to his uncle Laban. Uh, and, and those of us who are Esau fans, we can smile a little bit because Jacob's getting ready to get some of his own medicine uh, because his uncle Laban is a real piece of work himself and uh, is going to really stick it to Jacob. So Jacob comes back and, and he's, he's there to be there as, you know, so he won't get killed by his brother and also to find a wife. And so it turns out Uncle Laban has these two daughters and uh, their names are Rachel and Leah. And Jacob has this thing for Rachel and he wants to marry her and yeah, I know it's his cousin. That's kind of weird and creepy, but that's what's going on. And uh, so he says to Laban, what do I need to do to marry Rachel? He's like, you need to work for me for seven years. He's like, no problem, right? No problem. She's so beautiful. She's so awesome. I'm going to work for her for seven years. And so he, he works for, for Laban for seven years. And then he, he gets ready to come and, and get married. And you're right, women, you guys, wives, you are all worth that. Absolutely, absolutely worth that. that, that, that you know, whatever it takes, right? You are special. And so he does that for seven years, gets ready to get married. He comes in and finds out instead of Rachel, he has to marry Leah, right? So Laban has pulled a switcheroo on him, right? He's getting a little bit of his own medicine that he's been sticking to his brother all these years. And so he's like, he goes back to his uncle Laban. He's like, you got me. All right, all right. What do I have to do now to marry Rachel? He says, you got to work for me for seven more years. He's like, absolutely, I will do that. Right? It's going to take 14 years of service for me to, to have this woman as my wife. And, and so absolutely, and it's worth every, every day of that labor. He said, it's absolutely worth it. And so now he's married to two women who are sisters. Again, God's choosing some interesting ways to carry on the people of Israel. Right? Again, these, you think you have messed up family dynamics? Here, here you go. Feel better about your family. Right? So now he's married to these two women. Uh, and, and so this, this continues. Right? While he stays there, he and Uncle Laban are going back and forth and back and forth. And they're messing with each other. But, but he begins to have children. He begins to have sons. Uh, he begins to become this nation of Israel, starts having some of these seeds that are going to become this great nation. He becomes very wealthy. And so he's there for 20 years, right? 14 of the years he's working uh, just to get married and all this stuff. But he's there. He's growing. He's becoming wealthy. He's in these interesting family dynamics. And at the end of 20 years, God says to him, it's time for you to go home. And he's in touch with God. And but, you know, he's got the spiritual side, but he's also got this, this self-sufficient, conniving kind of way about him. And he's kind of cocky and self-assured and self-reliant, self-sufficient. And, 
And God now says, you need to go back home. You know, it's time to take the next chapter, to begin the next chapter, to take this story. Right, we've got to move forward. We've got a nation to, to build, all that kind of stuff, and you need to go home. He's like, okay, all right, let's do that. And so he's also a little nervous. He's got to go back, and Esau's been there. And what's he going to find with Esau? And, you know, is he still mad? Is he still going to try to kill him? Is this going to be a war? I mean, what's going to happen? And so, you know, he's praying about it. And, and, and so uh, he sends some some messengers to Esau says, hey, your brother Jacob's coming out of exile. He's really sorry. He wants to reconcile. He's coming home. And, and so Jacob waits and waits for those messengers to come back. And they finally come back. And oh, how, what happened? You know, did you see Esau? What happened? Yeah, we saw Esau. What's going on? He's like, well, Esau said, yeah, come, come back. Come back. You're welcome. He's going to meet you right at the border. And he's going to have 400 men with him. Yeah, right. So if you're Jacob... What are you feeling like? Probably a little scared. A little scared. Yeah, I'm self-sufficient. I'm wealthy now. I'm married. I got all these kids. I'm going to you know, be the ancestor of all this, this big nation. But, but my brother is mad. And he vowed to kill me. He's going to meet me with 400 men, right? Like, like soldiers? I mean, what's that, what's that going to be like? And so he starts praying. He's like, God, right? I, I'm going to need some help here. Right? I'm going to need some help. Which on the one hand is, is, is he's becoming humble before God. I, I can't do this on my own. But in his prayer, he's also a little bit manipulative. He, he pulls the card of, hey, I'm supposed to be the, the next generation of this covenant. And, and how's there going to be a nation if I'm dead? God, you got to get me out of this. And so he's kind of hedging his bets. You know, part of him is really like, I can't do this on my own. But part of him is like, I got to manipulate God to, to make sure he takes care of me. And so he's in this interesting spiritual place, this Jacob. Right? This, this guy who's supposed to be the ancestor, the, the leader of, the, of God's nation, God's chosen nation to bless the world. And, and so he divides his party in, into two, right? Just in case he gets back and Esau's there and he wants to kill him. You know, one family can die and one family can live. Guess which one's going to be the one he's going to put first? Right? Leah's family. Right? He's going to keep Rachel back with him. And so uh, he gets them ready for that journey. He also is very smart and he begins to send gifts to his brother, Again, he's really wealthy, and he begins to send like all these waves of different animals, right? Which was livestock, which was like showed your wealth in that day. That's that's what showed that you were wealthy. And so the Bible says that he sent so much livestock that it was more than like what a town would send to a nation if they were taken over, a kind of in tribute. And so he sends them in five waves. He sends like sheep and goats and cows and donkeys and camels, and I forget which order they're in, but like he'll send like a you know a whole bunch of sheep and goats, and and then the next wave will come, which is you know. Smart militarily, from a military perspective, you know, if this group of 400 is really a group ready to fight him, and then they can't really get the, you know, the, the act of surprise if, you know, every few days they're getting this new present and all these animals, and they're having to they have all these animals to take care of, and they can't move quickly with all these animals, and then all of Jacob's servants that come and stay with the animals, right? So he's kind of setting himself up as one way it's kind of a bribe, one way it's kind of uh, a smart military move, and he's kind of hedging his bets. And so he's getting ready to go. He's getting ready to meet with Esau. He's lined up his family. He's lining this all up. You got Leah's people in the front. He's got Rachel's folks in the back. He kind of sends him across this creek. And now it's just him the night before, him and God. And he's thinking and he's praying. And this really weird story happens. If you guys like WWE or, or, or boxing or whatever, right? We're going to get a, a pay-per-view story for free today from the Scripture. Uh, again, we want to jump back into the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 30. So Jacob 
left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So this really weird story happens. Maybe you've heard about it. It's Jacob meets this guy who comes up and they start wrestling together. And it's not just a guy. This is an angel. This is an angel of God. He's a representative of God. So, so in a sense, Jacob is wrestling with God. Right? And they're at this impasse and it's getting ready to be daybreak. And evidently the angel has somewhere else to go. And Jacob's not letting go of him. And, and, he, and he's saying to him, you need to let me go. But Jacob won't let him go. Right? And so it says the angel just takes, you know, he touches him right, in his hip socket. And it kind of knocks his socket out of, out of whack, right, out of joint. And so what we learn right now is it's not really a physical contest. Because if the angel wanted to, if, if his one finger or whatever, his hand just touching him knocks his, his joint out of socket, then this is a powerful guy. And if he wanted to, he could rain down uh, all the blows and punches or just, you know, he, he could end it physically. It's not really a contest. The angel is the one with all the power here. And so what we see with Jacob is, I think we begin to see something happen in his heart, something that happened in his personality, something that happened in his mind to say, wow, this is no person. This has got to be somebody from God. Uh, and, and my self-sufficiency is not going to be enough. Me on my own, I'm not going to win this contest. And so I think what we see when, when the angel says, let me go, is not Jacob saying, oh, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me because I'm stronger than you. It's more like Jacob's hanging on for dear life. I, I can't let go until you bless me. Right? It, it, it's, it's this shift from Jacob being this self-sufficient, conniving guy who does things his way to saying, I've got to, I've got to bow down. This guy could, could kill me. He could wipe me out. I, I need to try to salvage this and I, I need to submit. And so I think we see a, a real break in Jacob, a real break in, in, in his pride, a real break in his self-sufficiency to say, it's time for me to surrender to God. I can't do this on my own. It's time for me to, to admit who's God and who's not. It's time for me to, instead of looking out for myself, it's time for me to, to listen to what, what God has to say. And, and God, can you please bless me in this? And then he asked the angel to tell him what his name is. And that sounds kind of weird. And it would be nice to know. But in those days, if you knew someone's name, then you had some, some sense of power over them. Right? And, and so he's trying to claim power over God. He's trying to you know, claim power over this angel. Right? Hard habits are, are hard. I mean, long habits are hard to kick. Right? But I think ultimately what's going on here is Jacob realizes he needs to surrender before God. He says, I need you to bless me. So the angel says, I am going to bless you. What's your name? He says, Jacob. Right? Remember what Jacob means? Heel. Right? It means heel. It means he who grabbed the heel. Not the most flattering name if that's what you want to be known for because people know what, what that meant. He's like, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're going to be called Israel because you have striven with God and with people and you have overcome, right? you've been smart and you've been able to make it in your life, right? But now you realize you can't make it without God. You have to surrender, right? And so this, this is going to be your new name, 
Right? There are name changes in the Bible, and when they happen, they, they are very significant because God is getting ready to give that person a new identity. God is getting ready to give them a new mission. Remember I mentioned Abraham and Sarah, how they started this nation of Israel? Well, their names were originally Abram and Sarai, and God renamed them Abraham and Sarah, which means father of many nations, which means princess, right? queen, right? So God had a different mission for them and changed their names. We see that now with their grandson. No longer are you going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. You're going to be the father of a nation, the nation of the people of God, the, the nation that eventually Jesus is going to come from. And what's the nation of God called? Israel. So this is a very important shift in the life of Jacob and in the, in the history of the world. Right? This name change is huge. It's a really big deal. And what I think it reminds us of in our own lives is that God meets us where we are and helps us become something more. God meets us where we are and helps us become something more, right? God met Jacob where he was. He knew he had, he had picked Jacob out to be the ancestor that's going to lead the people of Israel. And he knew he was smart and self-sufficient and there was good in him. There was bad in him. There was great. There was brokenness. And God met him on that road. And God helped him become something more. He helped him become the beginnings of the patriarch who's going to lead a nation, to create a nation of people that's going to lead people back to God. And what was important in that was that Jacob had to be humbled. He had to become broken in spirit. He had to become broken in his body. He had to become humble so that he could know he couldn't do it anymore. And this name symbolized this huge change in his life. God meets us where we are. He knows that there's good in us, that we're beautiful, that we're created in God's image, that there's a lot of cool things about us. But he also knows that there's brokenness in us, that, that we do things that distance us from God and distance us from each other through this, what the Bible calls sin. And so God meets us where we are, but he also wants us to become something more and he helps us to become something more. And I think that's something that, that translates today from this 4,000-year-old story, which I believe is real. So I want us to think about where are we right now and what would God want us to become? What is God calling us to become? Remember the movie Dances with Wolves? Uh, it starred Kevin Costner back in the early 90s. And he played this army guy who was in the Civil War and he fought for the Union and the Civil War has just ended. And he's gone out to be assigned out west in the Wild West in, in this just this small little place by himself, this kind of abandoned fort. And, and, and the guys that sent him out there uh, have been killed in a fight. And so no one knows that he's out there. And so he doesn't know that he's been left by himself. And so he begins to restore this fort and he writes in his diary all the time and he begins to to encounter Native Americans who are out there. And at first he's scared of them and, and, and doesn't know what to make of it. But eventually he begins to develop relationships with them and figures out they're not the savages that everyone paints them to be. And, and while he's out there, he kind of adopts this wolf who he gets to know and, and starts to feed. And eventually the wolf becomes kind of like his dog or his pet. And, and it's, it's pretty cool. And so uh, at the end of the story, what happens is he becomes part of the tribe. He's been abandoned so long from uh, the, the, his white ancestors uh, or his, you know, his brothers and sisters in the army and all that kind of stuff uh, that now he, he, he becomes part of this, this Native American tribe. 
And uh, part of the ritual is, when you become part of this tribe, is, is they give you a new name, a tribe name. Uh, and so some of the other Native Americans who were in this tribe were called Kicking Bird. I guess he had an issue with birds and kicked a lot of birds. One of the guys was named Smiles a lot. And one of the guys was uh, named, uh, or one of the ladies was named Stands with Fist. Uh, and uh, so all kinds of things. One was named uh, Wind in His Hair. Right? I guess he was a good-looking guy and had the hair blowing by the wind, whatever. And so uh, when it comes to Kevin Costner and his character, and they, some of the Native Americans had seen him one time playing with his wolf like a dog and, and they were running and chasing and, and knocking each other down. And so they named him Dances with Wolves. And that's the name of the movie. That's his Native American tribal name. And so it's really neat because it's, it's his new identity. He's become part of a new group, become part of a new family, and, and they've given him a new name. Now, in the early 90s, I was a much younger person, and, and some of my friends uh, uh, and I like to give each other some of these new Native American names that were less than cool. <laughs> and you might imagine uh, they call me things like Dances with Dorks or uh, He Who Cannot Get a Date uh, or any other thing like that that you might imagine, uh, not being very nice to, to the premise of something that's really beautiful. Having a new name for a new identity, having a new name for a new start in our life. And so as we think about our relationship with God, as we think about our identity and who we are and what we do, as we think about our relationship with the people in our lives, our family and our friends and our colleagues and the people we go to school with, if God meets us where we are and wants us to become something more, what might that next step be in your life? If, if God were to give you a new name in your life, right, for, for the next season, you know, maybe for the next week or maybe for the next month or, or maybe for the next year, what could that be? Right? As, I'm not talking about a literal name, but, but, but a name that might signify what it is that God has in store for you next. Because I think God has plans for our lives. And I think God loves us and he loves who we are and he knows there's good and bad in that. But, but there's something about God that always is calling us to, to become something more. So, so what is it right now that God could be stirring up inside of you? Like maybe some of us are like one of those Native American characters in the movie. The woman stands with fists because she was so angry and, and was grieving the loss of her husband and, and just had endured lots of abuse in her life. And, and that was her name. You know, maybe some of us are, are, we stand with anger in our lives. Maybe our new name can be those who have let it go. Those who've been able to find peace. Maybe our name needs to be he who decides to gossip no more. Maybe our, our name needs to be she who decides no longer will I judge people. Maybe your name today needs to be sobriety. Maybe there's a habit or a, an addiction or something that, that has enslaved you and it's like a demon and, and God says, I'm ready to, to cast that out and to give you a new story. Maybe your name today needs to be not alone. Maybe your name needs to be forgiven. Maybe your name needs to be fresh start. What is it that, that, that you're holding on to? What is it that, that God loves you and meets you and, and it's right there where you are but says, I've got something better for you. The thing about God is God loves us and He's always wanting to, to do better for us and in our lives, right, He always has the next step for us to take. 
there's always a next step for God. If we're here today or we're watching online or listening online and, and we're far from God and, and we've never had a relationship with God, and, and it, it just seems to be like that might be something that's missing in our life and, and our life just seems to be kind of going in all kinds of dead ends, then, then maybe today is the day that we need to surrender to God. To say, God, I don't know if you're real, but I hope you're real. And I, I would like for you to show yourself to me. I want to believe in your son, Jesus, that you sent him into the world to die for me and to come back to life so that I can be forgiven because I have a lot of stuff that I need to be forgiven for. And I'm tired of carrying around guilt and I'm tired of carrying around shame. And I want to let that go. And I want you to come and forgive me and live in me, God, and give me peace and and give me joy. Let me know what I've been created to do and, and help me to know what it's like to have a life that's rich in you rather than rich in the ways of the world. So maybe... Your first step is to be like Jacob and to get down on your knees and to be humble and say, I can't do it on my own anymore, God. I need you in my life. Or maybe you've got Jesus. Maybe you've walked with him for a short time or maybe you've walked with him for a long time and it's been great. And we're assured of our salvation and we know what it's like to live life rich in Christ. We know that we're gonna go to heaven one day and it's going to be awesome and we're doing great things for God but there's still a, a part of our life that we've compartmentalized and we're not proud of it. And, and we continue to, to be a part of that. And it's something that, that needs to get better. It needs to disappear. And, and maybe that's the next step that I've been talking about where we get the new name of, of sobriety or forgiveness or releasing anxiety and, and fear. And, and maybe that's the next step that God's calling us to take. That's why we're a church, right? We belong together. We're on this journey together. And, that's why we come to worship and that's why we have small groups where we we get together and we we live life together that's why we serve and that's why we teach our children right so so maybe your next step is starting to read the bible every day even if it's just for like two or three minutes or maybe your next step is is to pray to god and talk to god and try to listen to god every day maybe just a couple of minutes maybe your next step is to grab one of those buckets out in the lobby to say somebody has lost their home Right? They, they've been flooded out. And the least I can do is be a good human, to be a good Christian brother or sister. I'm going to fill this up with stuff. I'm going to bring it back next Sunday. I'm going to make a difference. But maybe your next step is, I, I love children. I want to get involved in the, in the ministry of this church. Or, you know what? I've been sitting in the chairs for a long time, and I'm not really active in the church. And you know what? I could come, and I could help set up these lights, or I could set up the curtains in the lobby, or I could take them down after worship. Man, I, I want to give back to God. Maybe our first step is, you know what? There's somebody in my life that I love and they don't know Jesus. And I'm worried that they're they're living in hell. And I need to invite them to church because it's a cool place. They have powerful worship and they love children and they want to make a difference. And man, I care about my friend. I care about my family member. I care about my classmate at school. And it's going to take a lot of guts and boldness, but maybe God placed me in this relationship so I can tell them about what God means to me or just make a simple invitation. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. He loves you for who you are. He meets us where we are, but He wants so much more for us. What could that be in your life? What could your new spiritual name be for this next week or this next year or this next season of your life? We belong together. We belong together as we try to figure out who it is that God created us to be.
to figure out what our next step is, to figure out what our new spiritual name is. We are in this together because God loves us and he meets us where we are, but he wants something more. So what I'm asking you to think about and pray about this week is, am I ready to become more with God? Become something more. We are in this together because God has something